Well, good morning, Calvary. So good to sing with you this morning. My name is Jay Uyam. I'm pastor of Community Life here on the Erie campus. And it's just so much fun to be together once again to drink some coffee, eat some donuts. How are the cheap seats up there this morning? Yeah, the balcony. Those are my people. Those are my people. Hey, we're going to have a great morning. We're going to be discussing Luke 18 and 19. It's a morning which there's a lot of us away this morning. We got the middle school retreat coming back this afternoon. And then we have about 32 couples at the marriage conference in Colorado Springs this weekend. So we got a lot to be praying for as people, right? A lot of great things happening at Calvary uh, this weekend. As we get into the story, I want to talk about something that happened, a book that was published in 1944. It was, it was dedicated to a beloved friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. Clive Staple Lewis penned um, a wonderful book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictional work. Um, it's a short fiction. It's a fiction in which I recommend every Christian read. But it is a, a book about some letters between Wormwood, a senior demon, and his sort of junior demon, Screwtape. And the letters are around the subject matter of how do you destroy a Christian? How do you destroy their faith? As Screwtape is assigned to uh, a young believer, and Wormwood is going to give him advice. Throughout the book, the major theme is this. You actually don't have to kill them or destroy them. All you have to do is distract them. It's a powerful sort of idea that C.S. Lewis plays out in these fictional conversations in letter form. All you have to do is distract the Christian. And then they become void. It's interesting because when we encounter Jesus today, he is not distracted. He is fully on mission to accomplish what he came to do. In fact, when we encounter him today, it is very, very clear of why Jesus came. So often, though, we can be easily distracted on why Jesus came, right? Sometimes we fall into the trap of using Jesus for political gain. Sometimes we personal gain. Sometimes monetary gain. We use Jesus in so many ways. And if you hang out with him long enough, sometimes you get distracted about why he's really here and what he's really doing in the world. Back in middle school, I had a teacher who was from Virginia. I know that's not the most interesting fact, but they were a talker. They were a historical talker. They loved to share opinions and stories in class. And I knew in middle school, if I asked them some questions, if I kept prodding them, I would distract them to what we, we needed to accomplish in school. Now, I know there's some middle schoolers in here, don't do this, okay? This is not what you do in middle school. But there'd be times and moments, I wouldn't do it every day, I didn't want them to catch up to my, my scheme. But there was specific moments when I was either not having the assignment completed, or there was a test coming, or there was some big project, or even better, when it was Friday, 
okay? Friday's really when you want to distract your teacher because no one wants to work on Friday in school. And I would ask them questions and opinions. And being from Virginia, in the sense of the historical area, they had a lot of opinions and historical facts. And by the time they realized that the bell was going to ring, we had missed out on what we needed to accomplish in school. It was great. It was wonderful. See you later. See you Monday, right? But so many times we can, we can be distracted. But Jesus, when he approaches Jericho, is very, very focused on what he's going to do. Let's pick up the story. Turn with me in your Bibles. we got Luke 18, the back half of Luke 18, verse 35 is where we're going to start. If you don't have a, a Bible, get on your phone and download the ESV Crossway app. It's a great Bible app, clutter-free, has a great uh, voice to be reading Scripture if you're interested in that. Grab a Bible in front of you. I always, I always encourage everyone at Calvary, buy a good Bible. Buy a really good Bible that you're going to love and bring it to church. Because it's really important. We're going to be in Luke 18, verse 35. We're going to carry into chapter 19. I've gotten special permission to span the gap of two chapters. We're okay, Rob. We're going to be okay. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him, front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let, my, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. When he entered Jer Jericho and was passing through, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we can gather today in freedom. We're so grateful today that we can gather today in your presence. That we open up your word. 
a historical, accurate account of a day in the life of your son. And we ask, Lord, that you would meet with us, that your spirit would um, help focus our minds, tune our hearts, ask the questions, what if? And may we be changed as we leave this place today. Lord, I ask that you would also prepare our hearts for the communion table that's to come. That, Lord, we would have a chance to repent, a chance to reconcile, a chance to renew once again our commitments towards you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So there's two characters in these stories. They're going through Jericho, which Jericho is still today is the most ancient inhabited, continuous inhabited city in the world. It's a fascinating city. In fact, it sits about uh, a little outside of Jerusalem, and it's about 18 miles. Now, I, we have a picture of it today and what it sort of looks like in the historical form. If the computer would go, I think it crashed. Crashed? Oh, good. I just can't see it up there. Thank you. Yeah, this is what, this is what Jericho looks like today. It's an arid city. It's deserty. But surprisingly, it sits at the bottom of a hill compared to Jerusalem, the city on the hill. And in this city, G Jesus is going to walk by and in and meet two characters, one a blind man and one we know from an old Sunday school song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yep, we remember that song. And Zacchaeus and the blind man. And they both have a need. Both want to see something. Both want to encounter this commotion that's happening in Jericho, which is Jesus is coming through. First, as you notice, in verse 35, the blind man was begging. He was, he was poor. And asking his, his friends around him, he, 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 he wanted to know what was happening. Now, the interesting part about the blind man that Luke wants to sort of make a point is, is that actually the blind man actually can see because he knows who Jesus is. Does that make sense? And they jump into um, just this wonderful conversation about who and what Jesus is. The crowd going by, he inquired, who is Jesus? Who is this? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And his immediate response, even though he can't see, is, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, it's so loud and so obnoxious, they rebuke him. Shh, quiet down. No, 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 you don't say that. And all the more, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. He needs his attention. Zacchaeus actually does something different. Zacchaeus was rich. The chief tax collector. The head honcho. And J Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus as well. But because, as the Bible says, he was short in stature, he had to run up the road and climb in the nearest tree, the most climbable tree, and see, to see Jesus. And these two men do do 
these very shameful acts for their time period. Actually, one gets rebuked, and the other one, we learn that he runs, and it's, it's just an amazing thing, right? He's doing something shameful. He should be rich. He's the one that Jesus should be paying attention to, right? He should have a place which Jesus stops by and says, oh, this is Zacchaeus. He's an important man. However, it's the opposite. Jesus is the one that Zacchaeus wants to see. So often, you know, in our, our formation and so often when we want to encounter Jesus, it takes a step of shame, a step of humility, a step into making ourselves a little foolish in order to either catch Jesus' attention or to be seen by Jesus. Now, the, the really important part happens next. The confession. It's where Jesus catches the, he gets his attention caught by the, the blind man. He says this, as Jesus stopped, he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What a great question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you need from me? Jesus is always about, when he encounters people in the Gospels, it's always about, it's always about meeting the deep need in them. He's always about what say, having them say out loud what they really need from him. And the blind man says, I need my sight. I would love to have my sight restored. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is sitting in the sycamore tree, right? In verse, in verse 5, he's, Jesus passed by and he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. In fact, it's not Zacchaeus who gets Jesus' attention, but Jesus gets Zacchaeus' attention. Hey, I need to come to your house today. Imagine the crowds pressing in. Imagine the commotion in which Jesus is bringing. He's, he is at the pinnacle and height of his ministry career. Three years has led to these few moments. And there's a crowd following him through Jericho. And he spots Zacchaeus and says, I need to stay with you. Now with the blind man, Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, is that sort of like a name it and claim it type moment? Is that something like that? Where it's because the blind man, the blind man believes that Jesus is going to recover his sight, he gets his sight recovered? No. I think Jesus sees his faith because of what he says. Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. He understands who he is, even though he actually can't see who Jesus is. It's an amazing story. The blind man actually sees. The down and outer is actually healed. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, has to throw a lunch party. 
He actually has to open up his house, come down, and receive Jesus into his home. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is verse 7. He had gone to be the guest of sinners. And Zacchaeus stood and said to them, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What does Zacchaeus need? He needs restoration. He's outside the community. He needs to make everything right once again. Remember, we, we've been through Luke. We've run into tax collectors. We've run into the Gospels of tax collectors. And what they are, are the most despised people in a city. They're the ones that not only work for Rome, the occupying force, but they also work for themselves. They make it a little cushion of money off for what they get to give to Rome. They're the ones who are supposed to be faithful to God and his people and really are actually have fidelity to Rome and his people, their people. And we know from the story that Zacchaeus was the chief among them and was really rich. So how does a one, how does a chief tax collector get rich? He really puts the, the screws on those around him, doesn't he? He burns a lot of bridges quickly. He's good at his job. And because Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out at your house. Zacchaeus knows this is his chance to be reconciled and restored within his community. Amazing. And then Jesus actually commends him for something. He says this. He says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also, he also is a son of Abraham. Wow. Now how does that work? Is where's the son of Abraham? What do you mean? He, he's been he's been a son of Rome. And Jesus commends him and sees his faith and says, just like Abraham, who by faith, says, just by like Zacchaeus, by faith, step into my presence. You know, it's that combination where Zacchaeus. His confession is followed up with his checkbook. He, he, it's real world here. It's like James. His faith doesn't lack works and his works don't lack faith. They have a combination of both, faith and works. It's a, it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship where you, in order to have faith, you have works. And when in order to have works, you have faith. And, and, and Zacchaeus shows this and Jesus commands commends him by saying, son of Abraham, son of Abraham. Amazing. Now, in both stories, I want to point something. I want to pause something. There's something really important about both of these stories, which I don't think our, our chapters and verses do us justice. Is in both of these stories, in two individuals, son of David and Abraham are used. That's intentional. It's to show once again, who Jesus is. He's from the lineage of David, who is from the lineage of Abraham. 
And not to mention, this is his bonus material, it's happening in Jericho. Okay, if you've read your Bibles before, why is Jericho so important? It's where the people of God crossed the Jordan in Joshua. And Rahab, a spy, was there. And she helped the people of God spy out the land and save these two guys. And because of her faith, Hebrews tells us, she was saved. Jesus is from the lineage of all three, actually. If you read Matthew's lineage, Rahab's there. And now, this is the crazy part. Rahab is as what Sting calls Roxanne, a lady who puts on the red, you know? I'm not going to say more about that. You high schoolers can Google Sting's version of Roxanne. It's pretty awesome. But this is all taking place, once again, to show, guess what? What Jesus is about is what God's been about for a very long time. And in fact, he's been about it so much that he's back in the same city in which he was there with Joshua. He did the one thing he needs to do. Now, the crowds. The crowds in these two stories are very unique. The first crowd with the blind man sees the blind man glorifying God and they praise God. With Zacchaeus, though, they start to grumble. Here's why. It is so easy to explain. We cheer on down and outers, don't we? We love a good down and outer story. But when an up and outer gets saved, we sort of cross our hands, right? He's got it made, doesn't he? Chief tax collector, he's rich. The only thing he doesn't have going for him is his height. And Jesus wants to eat with sinners. And Zacchaeus gets picked out. It's human nature, isn't it? We cheer for an underdog story. The blind man has nothing. He has literally nothing. He's begging. Zacchaeus has everything, but yet is lacking. I remember in my own life the story of high school when I came to know the Lord. I had a friend group, a wonderful friend group who sort of ushered me, helped usher me into the kingdom of God. They invited me to youth group and church and to all the things that we were doing, and they sort of were so instrumental in encouraging my faith, praying for me, uh, really shaping who I was becoming in my junior year of high school. Well, in my senior year of high school, a new kid showed up. He had a Mustang, a black Mustang, dual exhaust. He had Flowmasters on it. Not that I was paying attention or anything. He had the coolest car ever, and it had a great sound system, okay? Not to mention, subwoofers in the back, it was legit. And my friends started paying more attention to him. You see where the story's going. And there was a part of me that grumbled. Why are you hanging out with him? Why are you the one, why are you going to do that? You used to do that with me. Because I was, I was grumbling because I was missing the point. You want to really know if you have God's heart? You want to really know if you, you really are all in with Jesus? 
It's, there's a litmus test when you see people coming to faith. Do you glorify God or do you grumble? It's a litmus test. Super easy to pay attention to. When baptisms happen at Calvary, are you like in the back row cheering? Woohoo! Yeah! Or are you like, well, yeah, their life is easy. They got a Tesla. They live in Collier's Hill. Man, they got it made in the shade. And now they got faith? That's okay, okay. You know? It's a litmus test. And Jesus follows up these two stories by telling us, it's the theme verse of Luke actually, why he came. Join with me in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is why he is here. That is why in Jericho he can stop, even though he is pressed for time, even though he is heading towards Jerusalem, even though it's the final week of his life almost, he is at the doorsteps. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's our theme verse of Luke. It's why Jesus arrived. It's why, that's why God was doing something to Rahab in Jericho. That's why he was doing something in Abraham's life. That's why he was doing something in David's life. is so that the, they could pave the way to this moment. Where Jesus would be seeking and saving the lost. He'd be saving the down and outers. And he'd be saving the up and outers. He'd be at work. Hanging out with sinners. And, and making sure making sure that they were taken care of. That's why he came. Now, the interesting part about this is that so often we get distracted, don't we? If I had asked you a question about 20 minutes ago, why did Jesus came? Why did Jesus come to earth? What would you have said? Maybe yesterday's prayers would have revealed who you thought Jesus was, right? What did you pray for? What were you excited about? You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Not only that, but because of where he was going, he was about to validate all that he promised. He was about to redeem all that was lost and he was about to reconcile reconcile all those who were far away. Jesus was going to seek and save the lost not only by some miraculous healing sight, not only by inviting Zacchaeus back into community, but a week later by dying on the cross. He came to seek and save the lost. Now, so easily get distracted by that, isn't it? You know, Jesus is, what is Jesus doing in your life when, when you get the email on Monday morning by that individual who works in your organization who loves to use the correct pronouns? 
How do you respond? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. How do you respond when you're at King Supers and they, they cut you off in front of you before you're doing self-checkout? He came to seek and save the lost. How do you respond, students, when you're, you see a kid, a classmate, eating by themselves? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. How do we respond to those that we play pickleball with this week at the rec center? And they use language that you're very uncomfortable with using. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And not only did he come to do that, he come, came to complete it. He came to complete it by death on the cross and validated in the resurrection that God raised him from the dead so that all who were far off and all who were near would be saved. That's why he came. You know, this week has so many distractions in it. My hope, my prayer, but even myself, is that I will realize that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We're going to move into a time of communion. And one of the best ways to remember why Jesus came is to remember our own story, that he came to seek and save you and me. That he came to redeem, to reconcile, and restore a relationship with God. Even before I knew I was far from him. So if you're helping with communion, I would invite you to come. And we're going to pause. And we're going to make sure our hearts are right with the Lord. And then we get to together proclaim this great gospel truth that Jesus came, that he died, and that it was sufficient for you and I as he was seeking and saving us when we were lost. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for my community that here at Calvary we're about we're about that. We want those who are down and outers and those who are up and outers to come home to know Jesus Christ. We long for the day when we see our friends and our co-workers, our classmates, all those who are far from you, no knowledge of you, come to saving knowledge. We pray, Lord, that in this season, between here and Easter, we would be a people that are on mission, that aren't distracted, that know that there's so many that Jesus came to seek and to save. And may we prayerfully, may we prayerfully consider our part in that. 
Lord, we love you. We love you. Keep us from distraction. Keep us focused on you. In your name we pray.